to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and I'm here with Natalie. Hi. And I have known Natalie for years and have loved her for years. And I'm excited to have her talk about her life and her perspective on her faith. Will you please talk about your childhood a little bit and what comes to mind when you think about your testimony and your home? Hmm. Well, I was a child who was very concerned with doing all of the right things. I was really good at um, making grown-ups happy. I was good at figuring out what thing I needed to do to get praise or be appreciated in different ways. And that was very important to me. Um, and so... Can you just talk about, just to give a little context for people who don't know, how many kids were in your family and what so number I'm one you of, were? So I'm one of eight kids, and I'm the fifth of eight. So I like to say I'm the beginning of the end. Right. <laughs> I was the oldest of the second half, the youngest of the older yeah. half, so the middle right in all ways. Pretty much But you liked all of it. to do, as a very typical middle child, you were saying you liked to do what would make the grown-ups happy. Yeah, I liked to keep the peace. I liked to, I liked to be praised. Um, and a lot of my motivation came from what's going to make people Interesting. Happy if so, I do it. So how did that come into play with your testimony and with church life? Well, I looked at church as this really like we talk about kind of that laundry list. Like I can do these things and I'm a good person. Yes. Perfect. Like so it I can was an check equation. it out. Yeah. Definitely an equation. You plug this in and this is what comes out and I can handle that, you know? Yeah, and I'll get the blessings. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people assumed through high school and stuff that my parents were really strict. Um, because you were so good. Because I was very strict <laughs> myself. Um, and that wasn't the case. They had high expectations for us, and we were, in some ways, I feel like, held to a, a different level of accountability than some of my friends maybe yeah. were or other things. But they weren't strict, and they were constantly trying to get me to go easier on myself even. <laughs> so say, you're but saying, I did this So thing. you're saying this expectation didn't necessarily come from the church or from your parents. It came from you. It was an internal it was, expectation. It was me, and I think it was more so than any person. It was just like this, the, the environment, like the surrounding culture of yeah. everything showed yeah. me that if I did the right things, I had value. Yeah. And that's how I would have value. So as you were trying to do these right things, do you feel like a testimony developed or was it mostly just a testimony of doing the right thing? Um, I do. I feel like it was a little bit of both. Hmm. And I've always, um, I feel like been blessed to have a good relationship with, with God and hmm. with Jesus. <laughs> we're tight. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, um, remind me of the question. Yeah, so how did that, it's interesting because you you talked about wanting to do what's right mm -hmm. and how your, did it, your testimony developed because of that. Well, and you sort of answered the question saying, despite that, I, I still developed a relationship with God. So let me actually, I'm going to transition to a different question. How did you develop that relationship? Despite the fact that you were just trying to be mm -hmm. good, you, you got to know God and, and to know Jesus how would you say that developed? And I, I do think that a lot of the closeness, the closeness and the more intimacy in that relationship that I have now came later on so, in life. Right, okay. So yeah, just describe as I did, that. As I did start to kind of 
have my worldview shift a little bit, you know, later on in my life. As a child, I had, I had um, beautiful spiritual experiences that I could never deny, you know, experiences with the priesthood or experiences um, just feeling things that um, were important to me then and are important to me now. But I didn't, I don't think, no, at that time that I really knew what it was like to have a direct relationship yeah. um, with God. So what happened to elicit that? What happened to yeah. cause a sort of, you said a paradigm shift? Yeah. So um, when I had been married for about uh, two years, I was expecting, um, have I been married for two years when I was expecting my second child? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. Sometimes that um, happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I found out that um, my husband, who was partially known to me, partially unbeknownst to me, was going through some really deep depression, um, mm. some really deep struggles with shame and self-loathing. Oh. And the way that he was trying to cope um, was through some things that were just incredibly damaging to the trust in our marriage. Um, and it began a many years long journey of trying to figure out what was going on because I had done everything right oh. the whole time. I was married in the temple, I was having children, I was going to the temple on a regular basis, I was doing all of the things, and here my life was falling apart. Um, in, in my eyes, it was, it, it was, what right. is this? You, like you talked about before with that equation, I uh -huh. had done everything on one side of the equation, and the obvious other side was, right. I'm supposed to be blessed, I'm supposed to be happy. You have this eternal family, and it's perfect, and it's good. Um, and... So right away, in the very first few steps of this um, really through the mud, the depths and the darkness of, of this experience in our relationship, I had an experience very early on and I saw very clearly my husband and the behaviors that he was participating in and I saw that they were not him. Mm. And I saw very clearly that they were, um, this was how, he, it, was, it was an illness. He was trying so desperately to cope. This was the only way he was trying to figure out how to do so. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. And yeah. I, saw, I saw it very clearly. And I thought, okay, I know that this isn't that he's some other person that I didn't know. I'm, I'm going to hang on. But that didn't feel like the right answer because in my mind, when you find out someone is involved in a certain behavior, you run, you get out of there, you dump that person. Like, again, with my equations, right. that's, that was my knee-jerk response was, isn't this what I'm supposed to do? And it wasn't. I was given this huge influx of love and this, this mm. perspective, this thousand feet perspective. Wow. So things were no longer in sort of, you always wanted to be the good girl, not the bad girl. And then you realized maybe right. things just aren't measured in terms of good or bad. Right. With because here, here was my husband who was involved right. in some stuff that was, without a doubt, bad behavior. It was, it was tough 
stuff that we were dealing with. Um, and yet I knew him and I knew um, that he was a good person. And that alone was my first paradigm shift. Wait a minute. How good can people that can do bad things. Yeah. Wait, is, can that be true? Yeah, but so, here I was. So what do you think enabled you to have that perspective to realize, like you said when you even described it a, a few minutes ago, this was a result of shame. Mm -hmm. he, he, was, he, he, was, he was acting on... So what, what helped you have that perspective? Because that's, that's a pretty mature perspective mm -hmm. to someone who is so young. And the first, the first step of it was... This is not him. And the way that first, that very first night, and all, it was almost like a vision. And I saw him, and I saw like a like yeah. an overlay, like a light gel, you know, that was this something else that was over him. And that's as much as I had at that yeah. point. And and um, the layers of the shame and the depression and all of those things are, are things that over the years I slowly learned yeah. and, and sorted out because this wasn't a a one-time situation. Right, it was because it rarely is. It, right. Yeah, it's it was. A process. It was five, six. I don't even know how many years of of ebbs and flows and thinking we're good and relapses and um, eventually he was excommunicated, and that at the very beginning when things sort of started to fall apart, I would say. Well, in that first night, he said, I don't even know if I have a testimony anymore. And it was like a sock in the gut. And I was like, that's the worst thing I can imagine. This was a fear that taught or not in the pervasive culture was this is the worst thing that can happen. Oh, interesting. And, was, and so that was in the bad category again. Mm -hmm. if, it was, if someone there's doesn't no have hope. a testimony, mm -hmm. right? There's no hope here. Which, yeah. And I would say, if, even if they excommunicate you, you can get rebaptized and everything will be fine. And that's, I, I kept trying to figure out the end from the beginning and saying, no, 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 we'll put this in a box still, because I like my boxes right. and it will be fine. Right. Um, and I had to get out of that box. And um, the first shift was right after he was excommunicated. Um, it, was, it was a very difficult um, disciplinary council. It was not a beautiful council of love like you hear about. Mm. It was one of the most difficult and I'll even say traumatizing events of both of our lives. Um, and even then I could see that the men in the room were acting from their own pain, their own wow. fears, their own biases. And that's extraordinary that you could see that rather than that and it's, again, it's a gift and I felt it. I, I, do you feel like that's yes. a spiritual gift connected with the yes, spirit? I yeah. do. I do. My patriarchal blessing says I have the gift of discernment. It doesn't say a ton else, but I've latched onto that <laughs> one. And I think that's what that means. Right. So how, how did that, I mean, this gift of being able to see people, Moroni 748 talks about mm -hmm. seeing Christ as he really is. Well, mm -hmm. you're seeing people as they really are mm -hmm. through the spirit. How did that help you to get through those moments after that disciplinary council? It helped me at least to process. I still um, had a lot of anger. I still had a lot of, we both had a lot of anger toward the situation for a very long time right. and, and um, all of that. But I've learned more than anything that there isn't, um, there, there's no bad behavior. There's just pain. Oh. All there is is people that are hurting and showing it in different ways. 
Um, and I try to, even now with my kids, we talk about that, like people aren't good or bad. People are just feeling different things and, and acting out or processing through what they feel in different ways. And sometimes those ways hurt other people. And that's really sad. It's really unfortunate. But nobody is bad. Yeah. So, so how, how were you able to not let anger take you away from your testimony, away from God after that happened? So, because I think that's, that's a, it's, it's so beautiful to, for you to talk about how pain is governing people's choices. How does that relate to the way you relate to God when you're in pain? Mm-hmm. So, well, the first, the first thing I want to say is that right after he was excommunicated, we came home from the council, I went to pick up the kids, and my parents kind of knew it was a rough thing rough, going yeah. on. I tried to be as open as possible at that point um, because I needed support, we needed support. And I went home and I was worried at what I would find because I didn't know if he was gonna be you know, depressed, laid out on the bed, or just like weeping, or like, I didn't know where he was gonna be. And he opened the door and he was like, hey, guess what? It's gonna be okay. And he told me that he came home and he prepared himself to feel the pains of hell that he had literally been told in the council he should be feeling right now. And he said, I sat there like, I'm ready. <laughs> here just comes my punishment. And he didn't get that. He got, I'm right here, you're good. And again, that wasn't supposed to be true. That's not supposed to be possible, right? <laughs> In, in the, the vilest of sinners <laughs> shouldn't be able to feel exquisite joy. See how that works. Even though, See how that's interesting. Right, which is a cultural expectation because yes. Alma says that he, yes. he felt exquisite joy even yes. though he was the vilest of sinners yes. in his own words. Yeah. And um, so, again, we had this challenge of the way that I thought things worked, which is you make a mistake and, you know, you've offended the spirit, it's gone, you know, <laughs> this idea. And I actually have a friend recently who said, the spirit never goes away. You either have elf ears that can hear a snowflake fall in the forest, or you've got your fingers in your ears and you're singing at the top of your lungs. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't go it's away. It's your ability to mm -hmm. hear it, yeah. Um, so that was a big shift. And then not long after that, um, there was a big, you know, another relapse and it was, it was really tough and it um, started the beginning of a 10 month long separation. We were separated for 10 months. And um, again, I kept feeling like, and even being told, just leave. Like, why are you still here? Why are you still doing this? And I said, cause I'm not supposed to leave. <laughs> and I was trying to just take it one step at a time. and. I wanted the answer to be just walk away. It would have been so much easier in so many ways, mm. but it wasn't the answer. And so I wasn't gonna do it. And I loved him. Um, and so if the answer from God wasn't walk away, I wasn't gonna walk away. And, but then here I wanna make sure that I point out that I had to keep myself physically, emotionally, spiritually safe in the separation. We yeah. couldn't be living in the same home um, with the, the level of betrayal that we were working with. Right. Um, and again, I just have to emphasize that my choices were the right ones for me 
yes, because they definitely. were what I was getting through alignment with God myself. And they might not be someone else's choices in a situation that looked very similar. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's important. And, to and I wanted, I wanted that to be the case. I wanted there to be someone I could talk to who had lived it already and could tell me how it ended and what I needed to do. Tell me because I like the list. The happy <laughs> I like the equation. Like. Yeah. And I thought, oh, here's this example that's kind of close to ours. If I do what they did, uh, you know, and I liked the outcome. If I do what they did, it'll work. And um, during that ten-month-long separation, um, I did a lot of self-discovery because I can I can trace it sort of back to Mother's Day that year, where I was like, here I am. Separated from my husband, and it's I have my kids half of the week, and the other half there with him. And what am I doing? Like, and it didn't look how you would have mm -hmm. expected it. Mm -hmm. yeah. With my expectations and how I thought life would go, I was failing. Um, but I was learning enough about myself to realize that that was that couldn't be the case, um, because I knew that God loved me and that I had value and worth. And so I had to have worth with or without a husband, with or mm. without my children, with or without, worth, mm -hmm, yeah. with or without any of these circumstances that I was working with, I had to have value. And so I decided to um, put the effort in to figure out who I was because <laughs> I wasn't sure because I married at 21 and had kids right away and I hadn't spent a lot of that time. I defined myself by my relationships and happily so, I wanted to be married, I wanted children. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't put that effort into who am I standing by myself and where does my worth sit in that space? Yeah. Because I, I learned I couldn't give that to any other person because I had no control over any other person. All I can, all I can affect, all I can um, mindfully change is my own behavior, yeah. my own thought processes. And so um, I started doing things like I took a birth doula training and uh, I started telling people I was a veil worker, just a different veil because yeah, with childbirth. <laughs> on the way in instead of yeah. on the way out. Um, but it was a very sacred space and it taught me about um, divine womanhood in a way that yeah. I don't know that you can really get any other way than yeah. standing with multiple women as they bring life into this yeah. mortal and, experience. And so for you in your experience being with other women and discovering your value as a woman helped you get through this and I think it's also important to emphasize that processes like this are just usually continual. Always. And that, that, that this, the self-discovery hasn't mm -hmm. ended. Mm -hmm. What would you say, acknowledging, of course, that you are still in process, mm -hmm. what would you say w your main message would be to someone else who's going to something similar, where, where you're, like we talk about with Oliver Wendell Holmes, you're mm -hmm. on another side mm -hmm. of complexity and maybe it's not all simplicity all the mm -hmm. time but what would you say to someone who's in the middle of it um well first of all i think that i've gone i think i think that i'm at simplicity but it's what simplicity looks like for me yeah yeah um and for me 
it comes down to love. Mm-hmm. On this hang all the law and the prophets, right? Like if the I first can't, and great if I can't trace yeah. it back to love and Jesus, that's what that's the catchphrase in our home. If we can't take it back to love and Jesus, then what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my extreme simplicity on this side, right? Um, but also just learning that every every person's journey is different, um, and. I'm grateful to my husband. He, from the very beginning, said if, I would say someone has come to me because they know that we've struggled and they need someone to talk to, how much can I share? And he always said, if it can help someone, go for it, which I've always appreciated. But it meant that I heard a lot of stories. I, I became this um, the sounding, a sounding board, board uh-huh, for a lot of different um, people. And I realized there's no one has ever, no one on this earth has ever lived anyone else's story. We have no idea mm-hmm. the complexities that lie behind the choices that people make and the paths that they take. Yeah. And um, I, would, I would sit with them and that was what I tried to impress the most was this is your story. No one else has ever lived it. If it's the right choice for you, it's the right choice. And that's the end of the conversation. Um, and making a new choice and shifting in what you need tomorrow doesn't mean you made the wrong choice mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Um, because you have new information, you have new experiences. So make each choice as it comes. And then the big one is don't, you don't have to know the end from the beginning. You don't have to know how it's going to turn out in order to walk on the path. Um, yeah. One step enough. And we really, we're really all just taking one step at a time and we're in such different places um, in our journeys and you can't judge where one person is against another and I try to apply it back to myself as well I can't judge my um, journey with my faith against any rubric any other person's list or anything else my priority is alignment with God yeah and if I'm in alignment then I don't worry about anything else if I'm out of alignment that means I have to take steps yeah. to get back in alignment and I can't um, like uh, deceive myself and say, well, yeah. it's because I know better. No, if I'm in alignment, I don't need to worry. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not, I've got to figure out why. Yeah, and what a shift from when you were a child when all of your values was, all of your value was based on external praise and now mm-hmm. you're having to figure it out for yourself, which is, I think, what God wants for us, and I, I appreciate you centering so much of what you talked about on love. Mm. You very clearly are a very loyal person, not just to your husband and to your kids, but to God, and I think that works together, and I appreciate you so much sharing that, you, you sharing that story. It's Thank valuable you. and sweet. Thank you. Happy to.